When I had come down this hill, I had seen this creature cross the road. It would have ripped my locked door from my truck, extracted me from my vehicle, and there would have been a damn thing I could have done about it. This thing, I got to notice in its eyes. Its eyes was real, real evil, real sinister looking. You know, the look it was giving me. Welcome to Bigfoot Hotspot Radio, Sasquatch Chronicles. I'm your host, Wes, along with my brother, Woody, and researcher, author, and friend, William Jeffy. Let's start the show. This guy who sent me this email had some pretty creepy encounters in there. I mean, it was one after another, after another, after another, and some of the stuff was pretty hard to read. Like his dog, he showed up. Did you read that email I sent you? I did read it, and it was interesting. Didn't he say just the skin was left? Yeah, just skin, just the skin was left of his dog, and all the chickens were missing. But this guy had like five or six really creepy stories to tell of what happened on his farm. Yeah, it should be and, really interesting to hear what he has to say. Yeah, it should be really interesting. I want to welcome, we're not going to use his first name, we're going to use Ghost as as we're going to refer to the guest tonight, but I want to welcome Ghost to the show, and he wants to share some of the encounters that had happened to him that were relayed to him to his fa- from his father as they were growing up on a farm. Hi, Ghost, how are you this evening? I'm doing fine, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. Usually, I when I talk to witnesses, I usually ask them what their knowledge was of the subject before um, they had an encounter. But you, you've had knowledge of this since you were very little. So let's just go ahead and start with the first story your father told you, uh, sort of your introduction to the subject, and then we'll just go from there. How's that? Yeah, that's fine. Well, basically, my father is a middle child. He had um, two brothers and two sisters, and he was right down in the middle. And um, he lived in Michigan most of his life and up in the northern states. And uh, um, my grandfather was usually, during this time, uh, he was working from one job to the next. And my grandfather, when this first encounter happened, was actually uh, hauling an 18-wheeler. So he wasn't even on the property when this happened. And he actually was very shocked when he found out the end results, as you can imagine, when he when he got back from his travel. And so what ended up happening, as I've been told, is that my grandfather and my grandmother had purchased some property 
outside this town in Michigan, and they had uh, a chicken coop, but they used a kind of like a, tra- a, a, a trailer, an RV trailer of some kind. I, I don't know exactly what it was, but he related to me like it was a camper. And they tore out the inside of it and made it made a chicken coop. And I'm not sure exactly how they did this, but my father and my uncle, I'll just refer to him as Uncle Y, expressed to me that the only way to get inside of the coop was to go underneath the the camper and they had made a latch out of the floor so you could unlock the latch and go inside and then you know gather your eggs or you know whatever and then leave and you would close it and hatch it again so they didn't go through the side door or anything like that and my my grandfather actually got a a malmute this great big old malmute to protect the chicken coop and it was attached to this chain that went right underneath uh, where the latch was. So anything that tried, like, you know, any uh, coyotes or bobcats or anything uh, try to go near there, you know, that malmute was, was just always on them instantly, always there, you know. According to all my uh, aunts and uncles and my grandmother, that malmute was not scared of anything. And it was the friendliest dog when you know it to the family members and to friends but any animal at all that came near that that property that mommy was right on it and it would it would alert them to anything and so this one particular night when this encounter happened my my grandfather was gone and it was uh nighttime i don't know what what time it was specifically but i know that it was exceptionally dark according to my uncle why he said that it was very, 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 very dark outside. And he said that he just felt something was, was wrong. He was just very, very scared. And this happened between 1977 through 78. So they were, they were pretty young. I don't know exactly how young, but they were, they were young boys and probably I'd estimate between ages six to 11. But he was very scared for some, for some reason. And they were all in bed. My grandma was out knitting in the living room, and out of nowhere, they just all smelled this really, really terrible, terrible smell, and they just had no, they never smelled anything like it before, and instantly, boom, the mountain was tearing, tearing up. I mean, it went ballistic, and just screaming and hollering and making a racket, barking its head off. And and this went on for some some time, and my grandma didn't know what was going on. She thought it was probably just you know a, a skunk or a raccoon or something. But man, I can't even describe the sounds that, according to my father, this thing made. At about six minutes or, or five minutes after the mountain had started barking, there is this huge. It wasn't a roar, but this huge deep, loud, kind of semi-moan roar thing just came out of nowhere. And it, according to my, my father, it, it got higher in pitch, and it was very long vocally. Like, it was a very, very long, long, like a sustained note or something. That's really the only way I could describe it. 
and it just got higher and higher and higher in pitch. And instantly, my grandma was scared. You know, Harris went up. All the kids woke up, and they were they, they didn't know what was going on. And they said that they heard the Malamute actually cry, like it was scared, and they could hear the chain on the ground go. They 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 didn't see it, but they believed that it went under the camper because they they could hear the chain kind of being dragged as it was walking or running. And there was this deep, deep silence. And then my grandma, or I'm sorry, my father says they could hear the chain actually being pulled against against the ground. That something was pulling the dog out from under the camper. And the dog was, you know, whimpering and crying and scared. And there was this just massive commotion. At, at one point, that you know, something got a hold of the dog. And, the, the, you know, they could just hear it. They could just hear this dog fighting for its life. And my uncle got so scared, he wanted to run out and see what was going on. And that, that's Uncle Y. And Uncle Y stood up and turned to look out the window and he said he swears up and down that there are these something was staring at him and he just was struck with sheer terror and he said that it had red eyes I think it was the way the light from around the house was that they had lights on their house I think that maybe the light was reflecting it or something like that I'm not sure I wasn't I wasn't there but he says this thing had red eyes, and it was it was staring at him through the window, and he just kind of panicked almost, and and ran and hid under the bed. He was just so scared. That when my father saw him run and hide under the bed, he actually joined him under the bed because he was scared. And at the around the same time that that happened with Uncle Y. One of my aunts also saw something staring at her to her window, and it had, she says, it had red eyes, and it scared her very, very bad, but I, I don't, that's, that's all she told, that's all she told me. She won't tell me anything more than that, and my grandma said she got up to go check on the dog because of the, of the fighting that was going on. She looked out the window, and she saw red eyes staring at her and that really scared at that point she went she you know she made sure the doors were all locked she was just she was scared she just said that she started praying she was hoping that daybreak would would come soon you know she was scared that something was going to happen to the kids and she didn't know what was going to happen and so that was pretty much the first encounter and when day came eventually came they went outside, and this part is, is hard for me to know because all of my family kind of don't like talking about this. But according to my father, when they went outside and there were feet print all over, there were chicken feathers all over the place, and the only thing that was left of the dog was its the skin off its back. But according to my uncle Y, he says that the dog was actually like torn to pieces, and that there were, there are parts that there are parts of it. 
I don't know which one is true. I don't know if maybe my Uncle Y actually walked around and saw more than my dad did, but my dad says that it was, all he saw was the skin of its back. But my uncle says that it was actually ripped apart. And they wow. went in the chicken coop, and something had climbed, literally climbed under the chicken coop, opened the hatch, and stole all the... There was not a single chicken left. The thing about this incident is my family, they they won't talk about this. There's, you know, because you get you get... You have skeptics, you know, criticize them, you know, you're crazy and making it up. Exactly. And my grandma, she'll tell you, she'll say she thinks it's a bear, but she says that because if you, you know, she'll say that to strangers, but if you get her or any of my family members behind closed doors, they'll tell you, they, you know, they thought it, they thought it was a Bigfoot because, so the, you know, there's no way that any animal could open that hatch unless it had closable thumbs. There's, there's just no yeah. way. They, they've seen bears. They lived in Michigan. They, they know what bears sound like and smell like, and that didn't sound anything at all, according to them, like a bear encounter. But they won't talk, they won't talk about it. And, you know, they, that's part of the reason why I don't personally want to re- reveal my, my name is because they'll get angry with me about talking about yeah. this because they just, you know, they don't want to deal with all the, you know, ridicule and all that. It's interesting you bring up the Malamute. Mm-hmm. You know, I used to own a Malamute, and those dogs are stubborn as hell. There's not an animal on this planet that they won't back down from. God, I can't even mm-hmm. imagine. And, you know, and with what, the chickens, the way they were taken out of an enclosure that was impossible for another animal to get out of. I, I can think of another example that happened in Roy, Washington like that. Uh, and this was also the late 70s, uh, where a friend of mine, they had some uh, rabbit pens, and they were built very sturdy, uh, heavy two-by-six boards and heavy ga- um, gauge mesh wiring. And the bottoms were ripped open like you'd open a tin can, and there was no way in the world any animal could get under on its back, you know, with about 18 inches of clearance, and open them that way, and all the rabbits were gone. And, and the same thing, they were there was skin and hair all over the yard. Uh, and the rabbits were all gone. So very similar type of situation. Yeah, I find it interesting, too, Ghost talks about the uh, different family members talking about the red eyes from different pinpoints around the house, Mm -hmm. almost like they were surrounded by the Bigfoot Mafia when they came in. Yeah, it was a coordinated attack. That's exactly what it's all about. That's what I've been led to believe. Unfortunately, that's just my own personal speculation. I I believe that they were surrounded, or at least like they were making sure that no one came out of the house while they were taking their prey, the chickens or anything, to kind of protect those that were running off with them. But it's just it's just one of those things that all we can do is just retell the tale and and just speculate about it. But I mean, it's it's really it's really terrifying to just to me to think that something like that could happen and there's like nothing you could really do about it you know it's an unimaginable situation to be in i think for most of us Mm -hmm. yeah it is terrifying you know take my freaking chickens but don't take my dog (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. what i mean (laughs) yeah and you know the whole the whole idea that as you know, I mean, I I was always involved kind of with studying Bigfoot and 
Yeti and all that kind of stuff growing up. And I read books, you know, fan fiction and all that stuff about, you know, Bigfoot being a protective guardian or a friend and all this stuff. And that's all bull crap, you know. I mean, these things... It's a silly idea. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, people go out, you know, you have these television shows where they try to go out and find these things and they don't even know what they're dealing with. These things are dangerous and, and they'll, you know, you can get hurt. You can get hurt, you know, and it's, it's just people need to be aware that what they're getting involved with. All the time, if nothing else, they're wild creatures. You're not going to go mm-hmm. out and grab a bear or a cougar or a wolf or something like that and try to make friends with it because the consequences are going to be you're going to get injured or possibly killed. You know, exactly. Animal, you don't mess with wild animals. Exactly. And these things are almost three times our size. Who knows how powerful, you know, they're predators. you got story after story after story, especially in the Native American oh, lore of these so things, many. eating people. You you're know, absolutely and it's, correct. It, it's just people need to, if people are going to go squatching or anything, at least they should be aware and be safe about it, have you've something to, have to protect the right themselves. Mindset. Yeah, you've got to have exactly. the right mindset for certain. Exactly. Well, Ghost, tell us your next encounter. Well, the next encounter happened with my Uncle Y, and I think he was the one who was actually the most scared of of this encounter. And he, again, this, actually all these encounters that I'm aware of happened in Michigan because that is where the bulk of my family lives, is up in Michigan, up in the, by those, the Canadian border. And he was actually out hunting with some of his friends. Now, this story, I, I personally have not, been, I have not been able to verify if this is true or not, but he swears up and down that it is. And the thing about my uncle is that when you question him about if this is true or not, he doesn't get upset because you don't believe the story. He gets upset because, in essence, you're calling him a liar. And that really, really upsets him that, that because he wouldn't lie, you know, about something like this. But he claims he was out hunting with his friends. And they were out and deep in the woods, and he just he caught that same smell, same exact scent. And in his mind, he, he knew immediately what it was because it had shook him up so bad. I mean, after what happened to the dog and the chickens and that whole nine yards, it's just not something that I don't think anyone would really forget. Pretty traumatic it, event. Right. And he knew immediately what it was. But he didn't, he didn't tell anybody anything about this. And the, his friends started, you know, saying, "What man, is that a skunk or what? And he was just telling them, we need, we need to go. We need to get out of here. You know, this, this area is not safe. We need to go home. Look, we'll continue hunting some other time. And they're like, why are you so scared? You don't act like this before. Why, why are you so scared, you know? And he told them, well, there's a Bigfoot in the area. Oh, as soon as he said that, ha, ha, you know, you're an idiot. Oh, you're stupid, you know, the whole nine yards making fun of him. And my uncle, he can't stand that, you know. He's got kind of a, a pride, and and he gets really angry. And he's like, all right, you're going to regret it. We're, right, we're staying here. You, you don't believe me? You you watch. Something's going to happen. You're going to see something. And so, you know, they all stayed the night. They were all camped out. And the next day, about five to seven miles away from their campsite, it was in the news in the town that something had carried a cow over a six-foot fence and had kind of gutted. It had removed its organs 
I don't know exactly what word it is, but he says that, that the carcass was on the other side of the fence, but left on the other side of the fence, and that it, things like its heart was gone, and I, I think he said its liver, I, I, don't, I don't remember, but the, the cow was dead, and a lot of its organs were missing. And there had been several Bigfoot sightings the night before around in that area. And that really just kind of spooked his friends, you know. And, you know, he all he really told them was, you know, I told you that there was something out there. Well, that would certainly but, get your attention. Oh, abs- absolutely. I mean, the thing about that is that would mean that something carried, I don't know anything that can carry a cow, let alone over a six-foot fence. I was just thinking the same thing. You know, what can carry a cow over a six-foot fence? I can tell you the creatures I saw that night probably could, but other than that, I don't know what else could carry a cow over a six-foot fence. And I guess it would right. depend on the size of the cow, too. Yeah. Mm, I but, don't know. I mean, Even a small cow. <laughs> Even a small <laughs> cow, I don't know if they can carry over a six-foot fence. Right. Well, you know, we did have the situation in 1980 uh, near Mount Rainier where two elk were torn apart by a couple of Sasquatches. So... You know, an elk is comparable to a cow easily, you know, in size mm-hmm. and weight. Mm-hmm. I guess the most sh- shocking and scary thing about this is uh, about just the, the concept of Bigfoot or Sasquatch in general is the unspoken amount of power they have. I mean, we, and you, you really don't know. We don't know how powerful they really are. I mean, all, I mean, we know that they're powerful enough to, to kill you, but, you know, it's just that they're so quiet. And so stealthy and so powerful. I mean, you just have it's it's so overwhelming. It's very unnerving. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, especially un- for us, where we we tend to think that we're the most you know powerful thing on the planet, and then to find out that we're not, uh, it, it is a little unnerving. It is unnerving. You know, like with our encounter with Woody and I, I remember thinking that the thing could tip the car over or throw the car that we were in. We were in a pretty big SUV. And I remember seeing the size of the thing, thinking, wow, this thing could probably throw throw this car we're in with us in it. And so I think the unknown is, is very unnerving, like you said, Will. Yeah, and, and for people that have seen a Sasquatch, you know, you realize all of a sudden just how massive these things are. Uh, and it's just incomprehensible unless you've actually seen one. And even when you have seen one, it, it takes a long, long time to really kind of incorporate that into your thinking and, and come to terms with it. Well, I know that uh, just from the stories and stuff that I read and heard of, it's not something that I personally would ever want to encounter. I mean, I, I, I would think I'd probably just lose my mind if I, if I even laid my eyes on one in the wild. And, and I, you know, growing up as a kid, I always had fun playing in the woods. You know, it's just some, you always have um, kind of that look over your shoulder kind of thing when you hear about things like this when you're out there. But I mean, it was fun playing out there. You, you just kind of let your imagination take over and go out there. And I wasn't scared of the woods at all. It was what was in the woods that I didn't see that kind of that kind of spooked me from time to time. Always made sure not to be out there, out of, you know, around six or five or whenever the sun started setting. I, I always right. made sure to hightail it out of there. I mean, I, I had a blast in there. You know, I always love going on nature trails and walks and stuff. But if uh, you ever, you know truly do Sasquatch research, you know, or anything, you, you'll come to realize, you know, that there, there's a lot of dangerous areas in the U.S. where 
these things ro- roam around. I mean, people, I don't think people truly understand or grasp the, the wild expansiveness of the woods that we have in, in the United States. You know, I mean, you, you see all these cities and stuff like that and think that everything is civilized. But, I mean, even up in Michigan and, you know, all the way out on the West Coast and stuff, you got just massive, massive, oh, massive plants. Huge areas, you're right. You know, it's just mind-boggling, you know. And oh, people I, I get, go to you places. I go to places where you can be in there for one to two weeks and never see another human being. Exactly. And, I mean, you, you just could completely disappear right off the grid. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, you're you know? right. You're right. There, there was one other encounter you were going to tell us about? Right. Um, the third encounter happened with my two cousins. And these are, ironically, um, my cousins from my Uncle Y and his sons. They never believed my uncle. This is just what's funny about this. They never believed my uncle when he would tell them these things and, and tell them, you know, be careful when you're out there hunting, you know, don't if you smell something unnatural, you know, you you come home. You don't stay out there. I don't want you staying out there by yourselves. And, you know, they would always say, oh, you know, you're scared of the Bigfoot, you know, he's going to come get you, you know, kind of, they, they were, my, my uncle, why was, was just hammered with ridicule from, ridicule from everywhere. I mean, his own family, you know, his kids and his friends. And so he just stopped telling people, you know, I mean, he, he won't tell you unless he's alone with you. But this night, my cousins were, uh, driving home and they were, I think this was in 2005, maybe 2004. And this is what's what's strange about this is I think it was last week's caller told a very very similar story to this to what happened to them. They were they were going down the road to their house, and where they where they live at has some woods. It's not a, a massive amount of expansive woodland, but there's a fairly good amount of of land out there that's wooded, and. And they came across this corner where this cemetery is. And the cemetery has only one light. It has only one spotlight down. And they turned down this corner this night. And they said that they immediately saw this thing standing under the light. The light was reflecting off of its fur or its hair. They knew instantly what it was. They were instantly gripped with fear. And my cousin who was driving actually fainted out of fear. And my his brother, my other cousin who was in the passenger seat, had to slam on the brakes and pull up the emergency brake to get the car to stop. Is what is what what he says because my other cousin he doesn't remember anything. The one that fainted, he says he doesn't recall anything. But my other cousin was knew that he needed to to get in the driver's seat to drive to drive off. And get away, but he was so scared to get out of the car that he he thought he was literally going to die if he got out of the car. He thought that this thing would would come and attack him. I think they were probably I I've seen they they've taken me to where this thing to where they saw it, and I believe that it was probably within about oh I'd say 17 feet, maybe 20 feet or so, and he was just ripped with terror, and he eventually he got out of the car and looked, and it was gone. And he looked behind him, and there were other vehicles behind him where people were getting out of the car with flashlights 
because they were perplexed. They saw it too, and they wanted to confirm, or what he says he believed, they were trying to confirm what they saw. And it kind of reminded me of what the gentleman said on on the last show where people were, were co- coming out of their car to, to see if they saw it or to verify that they saw it. And he got in, he, you know, got in the car and, and drove off. But when he talks about this, it, it really, it really shakes him up. And my other cousin, you know, he doesn't remember anything besides seeing it and then just nothing else because he fainted. To me, I would be with my cousin, you know, that, that didn't want to get out of the car. I wouldn't want to, you know, grab a flashlight and be like, oh, did I really see that, you know, or whatever. I would just get and go, you know, get, get, get on the other side and just, right, just drive off, you know. I mean, I don't need to go poke at this thing, you know, and say, oh, are you real, you know, or anything like that, anything like that, no, you know. But to me, I mean, it's always been something that has kind of been a fear fear of mine and I don't I don't want to not like a irrational fear I don't want to say but more so of a fear of something that I don't ever want to have to deal with or encounter with because I've talked to other people other individuals who have claims to have encounters and it, their stories are just so shocking just so scary in nature that it's why would I why would I want to subject myself to that you know, why would I want to to verify for myself by seeing it? Because to me, it is, it, it, it is, it does exist. I mean, you have story after story after story in our time that is almost exactly the same as story after story after story of thousands and thousands of years ago. And that to me is evidence enough. You know, why would we still, why would people still today be telling same things that other people thousands of years ago told, unless that there was some truth to it. Yeah, if they were if they were fake or made up, the stories would deviate, but they don't deviate. They they like you said, your your uh, cousin's encounter was very similar to the uh, person we had last week, and that's true. Uh, the, the authentic accounts do repeat. There, there's uh, are, are you familiar with um, David Politis's work with Missing Four One One and Tribal Bigfoot and and all all the other material that he's been working on? Somewhat, yes. I actually was very surprised with some of his stuff because um, you can actually take, for example, I've been reading his Missing 411 series about people who just disappear in the wilderness and are never, some of them are never seen again, some of them are found dead, some of them are found alive. And what he calls as, oh, I believe that they're, Grid points. I can't, I can't remember the exact term that he used, but uh, they're like hot spots almost of where people disappear, like up in the Appalachian Trail or um, in the Smoky Mountains and stuff like that. If you take those those spots and you line them up with Bigfoot sightings or with legends from Native Americans of Bigfoot, they line up almost exactly the same way. <laughs> A lot of these people disappear places that Native Americans told other people, their members, not to go to because bad things would happen, such as Devil's Peak or Devil's Canyon and, you know, things like that that have names like that. It's like, why why do they have names like that? Why would they name them something like that? Mm-hmm. There's too much too much evidence to to show otherwise that these things would not exist. You know, you the further back you go, there's we have encounters, we have hair, we have fingerprints 
or I'm sorry, we have footprints, we have unknown DNA, we have an eyewitness accounts, we have vocalizations, the whole nine yards. The only thing that we're, we lack is a body. On your prop on your parents' property, did did they ever mention anything else that had happened around the property besides that one incident? They noticed that they would get feet prints going around the area a lot up in Michigan. They don't live there anymore. They they moved out and right away when after that happened. When my when my grandpa got got back, they packed up and they left. But they yeah. they had heard stories from neighbors, allegedly, that there were strange things going around happening in the area, and they didn't know what it was, that animals were, their animals were acting weird, they didn't know what was going on, they had never seen anything like this before, they thought that there might have been some kind of rabid bear, babies or something, they didn't know what was what the deal was. And they, the the local town newspaper actually went and took pictures of these feet print and they took casts of them and everything. And allegedly, you can still see those casts up in that town to this day. My father wants to actually take me up there to see them. I, I have not seen them myself. But wow. according to to the family, those casts are there and that is supposed to have made local news there. I don't think it I don't think it made state news or anything like that. But it it's just something, you know people should like I said, people should be aware that these things are, are not your your buddy like Smokey the Bear or something like that, you know, that they're gonna protect you or, you know, just try and communicate with you and play with you or anything like that. These things are predators. These things are ambushers. These things will will cause you harm. And the Native Americans... You're right on the mark with that. Native Americans, you know, they don't even like to talk about them. You know, you have a hard time having tribes open up about them. And the whole, you know, we, we, traded, we traded with them, that that goes back way, 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 way back, almost to like first encounters with them. But almost immediately after that, with Native American stories, and you have to really kind of dig. I don't have to tell you guys this. I'm sure you already know. But, but if you really start digging in it, you'll find that Native Americans actually tried to exterminate these things because they kept kidnapping kids and eating them, allegedly. Or they kept right. attacking villages and stuff. And, I mean, you can look story, story up after story. you got things like, you know, the Roosevelt story. You have LaFleur's story. I mean, you have the prospector story of these aggressive attacks and the only thing that the only story that I ever came across where these things were nice or allegedly were nice to a human I read in the I read in the one of those uh, Bigfoot kind of it was a really short short book it, it just had pictures of, of the Patterson film in there and stuff and it was the story I can't remember the gentleman's name but he was in a sleeping bag and it, it, apparently it picked him up and took him to his cave, and it just oh, kind of held him Albert, there. Albert Ostman. Yes, yeah. exactly. And, and, and I'll tell you something, you know, Rene DeHinden was a longtime friend of mine, and he was the one who was the primary and the first interviewer of Ostman. And Rene told me, uh, and this was back in the late 80s, he said, we were talking one, one evening at his house, he says, you know, I, I interviewed Ostman over and over for many years. 
And he says, you know, in the end, I think he made the whole thing up. Well, it just wouldn't make sense. Why would why would they take a human and, and just leave him there in the cave and just right. not let right. him leave? That doesn't make sense. That's the only... <laughs> I mean, you can you can usually spot a fake story up out when it comes to Bigfoot encounters if you actually know the history of of the of Sasquatch. If you if yeah. if you don't know the history, then you're not going to know the difference. Exactly. You're exactly right cuz these again, like I said, these legitimate stories uh at least some of the major details will repeat over and over again. The ones that are fake are or that you might hear once like but in this case, it's the only story like that. Uh, you know, so that's a that's a red flag right there. Right. And you know, a lot of people, to me, something that just, that just kind of sticks out to me is that a lot of people that t- that tell their stories or want to tell their stories usually don't care most of the time what people think about them because they know what they saw or experienced, and they're more or less trying to just let people be aware to be safe, and that's my whole point. You know, I, I'm not, I don't want any gain out of this or anything. I just want people to know the truth that if you're going to go out in the woods, be safe because things happen, you know, accidents happen, you know, but these things, they're not scared of us by ourselves, you know, like you have pointed out, as you have pointed out, they stay away from groups or at least are cautious around groups. So if you if you go camping or something, being the, I would say being a pretty large group, you know, maybe about six people or so, but if you're going by yourself, you know, be be exceptionally safe because you don't know what's out there or in the area unless you're really 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 familiar with it, you know. And yeah. I just don't. Yeah, I just, and even from the standpoint, like with with cougar attacks, have increased over the the past you know decade or so. You know, it's just not, a, or if you, you know, trip and fall down and break a leg or something. I mean, there's just a lot of reasons not to go mm-hmm. by yourself. Exactly. Bigfoot, you know, but exactly. Uh, you know, you dehydration. And, oh, oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. lots and lots of things that can happen. So, you know, it's never a good idea mm-hmm. to go by yourself. Exactly. Um, I was actually curious. I stumbled across this fairly recently. I'm, I'm not sure if this is n- new or old uh, concepts about, uh, you know, big feet burying their dead, but, you know, that, that's been kind of around. But the, are, are you familiar with LaFleur's uh, Bigfoot encounter? Uh, I'm not, no. Well, he was allegedly in, in Oklahoma in 1855. He was a Native American who led other Native Americans to wipe out a Bigfoot uh, family group that had been raiding the area and they had killed many, many, many children. And LaFleur, um, when he got in the area, he they they smelled a stench of death. And when they broke this clearing, there's this big mound, this this really, really large mound. Originally, the furthest text that you can find, it will say mountain, but others, newer sources call it a mound. It was a really, really big mound. And that there were decomposing ch- dead kids out that they had eaten and stuff and instantly they were charged by some large males. LaFleur uh, allegedly 
according to the story, he he shot it with the with actually his revolver into it. It didn't do anything, and it ripped his head off just with a big sweep, just went boom, and took his head right off. Um, which to me was when I heard one one of your guest speakers talking about the story, where he didn't believe it was true, but his friend believed it was true, where the Bigfoot ripped the guy's head off immediately after he shot one sitting in the clearing. That, that to me was told us that story, yeah. That to me was yeah. that instantly reminded me of this story where it, it went straight for his head. It didn't go for his legs like a dog would, you know, to get the calf or anything like that. It just went straight, swiped, took his head right off and he died. But according to the story, they actually killed these things and they and they burned them. His his uh, Native American compatriots burned their corpses and, and buried the dead children. And in the mound were skeletons of deceased Bigfoots. And there's been kind of this idea um, that these that there, these mounds are actually burial mounds. I don't know. I, I don't have any way to confirm this or anything. It's just, you know, again, speculation. But I was curious if you guys had heard anything about this before, especially because when, if you, if you go back to when America was first being colonized, you have um, stories where some of the colonists, I'm sorry, where some of the colonists had come across these these big mounds, but they destroyed them for landscaping and and to build their um, plantations or cities and et cetera, et cetera. But um, well, in, uh, yeah, in Washington, Oregon, uh, so far. It's something Renee DeHinden again put me on to many years ago that he found they're not not large. Well, I can't say they're not large mounds. They're not really huge mounds in, in that term, but uh, they're large enough to have covered a Sasquatch corpse. And so far I've got at least eight sites, different sites in both states located. So uh, that's one of our goals you know, for my, my organization is to go out and, and to see if those actually are burial sites. That's all um, I can say is, you know, to the listeners, so this is just, that's just speculation from my part and from what I've read online. At this point, but, sure. But I find it to be really interesting, and to me it would make, it would make logical sense, but there's, as of now, there's no way to confirm that. I just find it to be very interesting because, these things are exceptionally intelligent. At least I think they are. The, the way that they well, handle primates. themselves. All primates mm-hmm. are very intelligent. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of uh, Quentin's story he had posted on yeah, Facebook. Yeah, right. right. About the uh, <laughs> the guy that shot one, they buried it, 100 stayed behind, and the other hunters decided to go get the authorities. They came back, and then they found the hunter that stayed behind with his head ripped off, his arms ripped exactly. off, and his body had been slammed up against trees. And the the Sasquatch that they actually shot and had buried was gone. Something had dug it up right. and taken it. I'm not too familiar with other primates. I'm not sure if they if they do anything like that, like a burial ceremony. But I do know that they that some of them mourn. You know, they get upset. They they mourn the loss, like. If there's, um, well, I mean, you got like the whole story of Tarzan, for example. I mean, the mother lost a child. The mother ape lost the child, and it mourned to the death. It was so distraught and sad that it actually took the human child to replace the loneliness in its heart. You know, so I mean, these things, they're, I, I'd say they have greater intelligence, and they know, you know, how to, to do things like that. I, I would assume. 
Yeah, there's right, a primate right. in in uh, India that actually buries its dead. Oh, yeah? yeah, and with with all the relic, or what we suspect are these relic hominids, you know, with all the big gaps in the in the, in the hominid fossil record, we don't know where these things fall into place and and what they know. It's same with Neanderthals, for example. There's you know, all these people speak with all this great authority about them. There's a lot of things they don't know about them. Uh, you know, they, they weren't Homo sapiens. They were Neanderthals. They were a different species. And, and the, you know, they think they buried their dead sometimes, uh, but it's not mm-hmm. all the time. So we don't know what the other species did or didn't do. There's no way of knowing. Right. right. It's interesting that you um, bring up Neanderthals um, because I've, I had also read that Neanderthals would uh, commit cannibalism of their dead sometimes. And... Right. It would just makes me kind of wonder if these things might do something similar like that because they're old. something that big would need a lot of nutrition, nutrients, and vitamins. Yeah, there's, and there's a lot protein. of unknowns at this point. Yeah, yeah it's certainly right. possible. If those dirty monkeys will take your dog, I mean, who knows what else they'll do? I'm just <laughs> right. right. <laughs> and you know, damn dirty it, apes. I, <laughs> the damn dirty apes. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean that's pretty much what it's what it boils down to in in essence. I mean, with the whole conflict that, that we had with these things back in the back in those days when it was kind of like the book, that book, you know, us versus them. And right. More right. Or less, yeah, it sort more of makes you think that, doesn't it? Yeah, I, it kind of boggles my mind how people can compare these things to us. Like the Native Americans, you know, they would call them Big Brother or. You know that they they would believe that these were humans, and to me, I'm well, thinking they're not they're not Homo sapiens. You well, know? here's something here's something to consider, and, and I've mentioned this a couple times before on the show. Sometime last year, I was in touch with a, uh, I, I was looking to get some permission from from different native artists to use photographs in, in some book projects, and one gentleman I contacted, I found, uh, was actually a chief and an elder. For his particular tribe, and and he passed on some information to me that was very helpful. He says when it comes to uh, native histories or names or experiences, things like that, he says you really have to. It, it's not a never a blanket situation. It greatly depends on on the tribe's experience. He said it could be a family's experience. He said it could boil right down to just an individual's experience on on their outlook you know, or the stories and, and how they're put together. So they're looked upon as a big brother. Maybe that was somebody's, you know, fanciful thinking, you know, one point in their history. But when you, like you mentioned, when you look at the bulk of these uh, tribal mm-hmm. accounts, they do refer to them in the negative. They're they're cannibalistic. They're, you know, these wild, vicious creatures. They're not, uh, mm-hmm. you know, something friendly to be, you know, admired. They're something to stay away from. Mm-hmm. Kind of like the tormentor of Native American folklore, and you know, not necessarily the prankster. I was always kind of, you know, making making uh, jokes or trying to pull a prank on someone. I, right. More so, like more so, like the terror of the story. Absolutely. Yeah. Like the boogeyman, the boogerman. Yeah, you know. Well, I mean, for me, in all honesty. Uh, he was. I mean, Bigfoot kind of kind of was the boogeyman for me. Uh, kind of in essence, growing up because I, I was. Uh, it's kind of funny how this played out because when I was really really young, 
about three years old, I saw the uh, the 1970 version of King Kong. I, I can't remember exactly what year it was. And that, that really kind of scared the, the crap out of me, to say <laughs> to say uh, the least. And then when I when I got a little bit older, I saw the Star Wars um, movie where the snow monster got Luke. And and that that scared me. And then I hear stories, you know, I heard the stories about Bigfoot and stuff from my family's experience. And I was just kind of like, you know, whoa, you know, kind of thing. It just this was also real for me. People, number one, are attracted to how horror movies are such a, a prevalent thing with humans, why they're so mm-hmm. popular and have been. Uh, and then when you see images like that, you know, the big hairy, and that's always the, the monster in our mind is the big hairy boogeyman. You know, why, why is it mm-hmm. always that image that scares us the most? Was there something in our, in our distant past that in, really ingrained that fear into us? That that's what I think too. Kind of like in our genetic code or, or whatever, like a genetic memory. Right. I think you had mentioned something like that a couple, a couple episodes back. And, and, and I was really intrigued by that. Yeah, I think Vendramini sort of, you know, he he says that in his book, Them and Us. You know, of course, I, I don't know, you know, I, I don't particularly think Neanderthals were, were that creature. I, maybe maybe the Sasquatch is actually that creature, uh, you know, that we had that encounter with, you know, the uh, the, the all the um, animosity, you know, the fighting and, and such, but... Um, you know, certainly, you know, it's it's prevalent not just among Native Americans, but many other cultures around the world in exactly. these regions. You know, in in uh, my family's from Norway, and, and I've got a couple of the friends who are also, and you know, in that part of the country, they call them trolls and frost giants. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, yeah, it's you know, Shrek isn't uh, isn't the troll. You know, that's what everybody thinks today, but it's actually, you know, when you talk about. Uh, in, in stories, you know, the monster hiding under the bridge waiting to eat people, well, you know, that brings us right back to the Native American stories about these creatures laying in wait to uh, to eat the lone hunter or, or children. Uh, and yeah, in other exactly countries, right. it's not just, not just a, a few, it's across the board. Exactly, you know, and I was actually going to uh, kind of bring that up too, is that, you know, these it's not just located only in one or two regions in the world, you can find stories of, of these kind of encounters with with a, a, a hairy creature that could fit under the Sasquatch family tree or lineage all over the world. I mean, in Europe, you have um, the woodwoose. The woodwoose, you know? exactly. And that was very prevalent in the Dark Ages. Almost everything mm-hmm. was adorned with that. Uh, but it's, yeah. yeah, it's mostly the northern latitudes around the world. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the Yeti and you know the, the skunk ape and, and, and the whole nine yards. I mean, you can you can you can almost go to any culture, almost any culture, and find find a similarity between the two, or or find something that could possibly relate to the same situation and scenario. You know, the, really the only area that I haven't that I haven't found anything, but I haven't really checked that hard either. Is in the Middle East. That's really the only area that I've not found anything like that. I would think almost certainly there would be references everywhere, you know, throughout oh, history. Oh yeah. In one way or another, maybe you know, we think it's we think because you know we like to put our own current thoughts on what ancient peoples were talking about or referring to, and and 
you know, that's always being revised, it seems like. So maybe there was a, an entirely different way and context they were being talked about. Ghost, we're just out of, almost out of time. I wanted to ask you, hearing all of these encounters from your family, hearing the stories from your dad, has it changed your viewpoint as far as going out in the woods? I God, I would imagine it would. Oh, absolutely it has. You know, I actually have, I don't know what it's called. I have a phobia of windows, actually. My fear is I don't know what's on the other side looking in on, at me. And I've, and I've always had that fear, but it was really ingrained within me whenever I went to visit my grandma because she lived out in a wooded, really wooded area. And I would always sleep in a room where there was a human-sized window right next to the bed that had no curtains. So any and there was no light on the outside. So anything could just kind of walk up and stare in and look at me. And it's just like hmm. I, I felt yeah. very ex, I felt very exposed. I, I would think and, growing up hearing those accounts would really uh, you know make that pronounced that fear. Yeah, I would imagine. Exactly. And so, you know, I kind of always nowadays make sure that my windows, I have real thick black curtains on my windows and stuff, but I don't like to go um, in the woods during like nighttime or anything. Obviously, I don't, I don't feel comfortable being in a tent. I don't feel comfortable being exposed to the elements. A lot of people will tell me, oh, well, you're missing out on camping, you're missing the experience. To me, it's just, it, it feels like I'm putting myself out there as an easy target for anything, not just Sasquatch, kind of like what you were talking about earlier. But it, to yeah. me, I just feel very exposed. And so I kind of have to have a sense of security with me when I'm out in the woods. Um, yeah. Speaking about how I was, I would stay at my grandma's right quick. We, my cousins and myself, would, we would go out and we would play and stuff. But um, whenever it would get dark, I would always make sure that I was either by a campfire or inside where, where the adults were. And there were a couple of times where I was out in the woods by myself, but I, I can tell you I was scared like no, nothing else. You know what I mean? It was just something that just kind of, I don't, like I said, I, I didn't, it's not like I have an irrational fear. I mean, I, I like to go out and experience nature and, and everything, but it's just something that there, these things happen. Stories, you know, right. where people just vanish and are gone and never seen again. And, I kind of try and take that into consideration and try to make sure that I'm safe about it and whatnot. So you have all this in the back of your mind when you're out. I think it's smart. Mm. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and that's my one goal is to try and hope that people will uh, be smart when they're doing things out there, you know, go out, have fun, play in the Creek and the lake and stuff. I did. I had fun in a blast, but always make sure that you got an eye on the back of your head because you don't know what's coming, you know? And you know, that's you know. the problem with us today. You know, we've really dropped our guard from what we, where our, our roots are as humans. You know, we just mm -hmm. aren't, aren't as aware of our surroundings and what mm -hmm. else is out there. And we really should be. Oh, yeah. I think a lot of bad things happen when we drop that guard. Absolutely. We're, human beings, we are very, very vulnerable creatures. We're, we are only the top because of our intelligence. But if we don't, if we didn't have our intelligence, we we would be easy pickings for almost actually, all the predators. Think, actually, I think we where there was, there's a second part to that, and we we tend to forget that is that we we are a very violent species. Oh, very yeah, absolutely. Look what we do to absolutely. each other is, is proof of that. And we mm -hmm. 
we've tried to get away from that, and that's how we've dropped our guard. I mean, there's a reason animals fear us and run. Mm-hmm. You know, Absolutely. And, and we've dropped that. And the same with these creatures. Now, then that could have something to do with why we're we're, we're getting more of these kinds of stories and things happening. Um, I don't know. But certainly it's happening with cougars and things like that because, you know, 30 years ago, we'd go out and shoot everything. And oh, absolutely. And prior to that, and animals know we're dangerous species. Now that mm-hmm. we've stopped doing that, that fear is going away. Absolutely, you know. And it's kind of, I think you might have actually said something about this a couple of weeks ago where tracking and hunting is just, it's really a learned art. You know, we 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 really have to learn that because of the history that we have with nature and the animals. They 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 animals know we're in the area before we know they're in the area, and they will flee before we even realize that they were even there. You know, and you have to really learn how to get down in the mud and the dirt and track these things to go out and find them. To me, that that just kind of enforces my opinion that. We're really just very, very vulnerable creatures if we, without the lack of, without our intelligence. If we lacked our intelligence, we would we'd be really, really easy pickings. I mean, we're we're strong family, organized, organized community creatures. We're very sociable creatures, but it's really our intelligence that gives us the the edge over everything else. We're great numbers. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, Ghost, I can't thank you enough for coming on. I can't thank you enough for sharing the stories from what's happened to your family. I know it's tough to come out, and it's sure it's it's really tough to share those experiences and everything that's happened within your family. I know the ridicule. God, when you have your own encounter, it's hard to get your own family to believe what you've seen, let oh, alone yeah, share it. And uh, so I know mm-hmm. it's tough to, and I really know it's tough to come out and. And share it Absolutely. on the air. And we can't can't thank you enough. Thank you so much for coming on the show and, yeah, we sure and sharing your experiences. Yeah, very much, very much so. Uh, absolutely. You know, I'm glad that you guys are an outlet for people to to warn and to let people know about about their encounters and the dangers out there, and you know, just kind of kind of a, a therapeutic session for people. And I think that that's great that you're doing that, and your show reaches a lot of people, and a lot of people, I believe, are starting to realize the truth of the matter, and that is that these things do exist, they are dangerous, and we don't want to cause a panic or anything, but, you know, just be safe. Just you know, be, be aware. Safe, be, be smart. Yeah. Exactly. You know, and try to do what you got to do in order to make sure that, you know, you you are safe with your family, if you, you know, right. have a family. Yeah. Thank you very much. You know, I appreciate you guys taking taking my call and let me tell the tell that story and just hope that, you know, you guys keep doing what you're doing because a lot of people enjoy it and a lot of people respect it. No, well, thank we you and appreciate everybody it. listening and sharing their stories too. Yeah, absolutely. Well I guess I'll go ahead and let you guys go and look forward to hearing back from you guys sometime. Everyone here at Bigfoot Hotspot Radio would like to thank Audible.com. 
Audible.com is the internet-leading provider of audiobooks with over 150,000 different titles to choose from. To download a free audiobook of your choice, go to audibletrial.com forward slash bigfoothotspot. So I want to thank Ghost for being on the show. I want to thank him for sharing his encounters. Next week, we'll address rock throwing and other behaviors of Sasquatch, but I want to bring Bob on. Uh, Bob Garrett, I know Jamie had sent us this video and posted it on our Facebook fan page, on the Bigfoot Hotspot Radio fan page of this camp that Bob came across. And so we thought we'd bring him on the show to have him discuss. I mean, it looked like someone had been... It looked like King Kong went through the area and basically had taken the campers and just destroyed the whole area. What did you think yeah, of that video? Yeah, it wasn't just the camp, but the surrounding area was trashed as well. Yeah, the surrounding areas. I mean, God, it looked like King Kong went through there. I mean, I would almost call it a hoax, it, not knowing Bob Garrett and not knowing anything about the video, except for a lot of the surrounding areas that you see. I mean, there is no way a person could have done the damage that that was done on this place. Yeah, yeah. Bob Garrett's a very credible uh, Bigfoot hunter. I mean, him and Lupe Mendoza and, and some of the folks that they have in their group in Texas uh, are some of the few that I consider very good in this field. Well, let's go ahead and bring Bob on. How are you guys doing? Well, we're doing pretty good, doing pretty good. You're in the field, huh? Yes, I am. I, I just got back up to the truck, and we're going to, Roll over to an area where uh, the service is better. And, Bob, the the reason why someone had posted one of your videos to our fan Facebook page, I know you uh-huh. all know each other, but uh, some guy was asking me, is this real or not? It's the uh, one where you got you came across the campsite, and it looked like King Kong had went through there. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. All Everything was just destroyed. The... Uh, uh, the trees behind it was destroyed, and uh, well, let's do this. Will do you want to to interview Bob about that video? And then what I'd like to do, Bob, is get you on the show. Would you be want to come on maybe next week and talk about beyond just the video? But would you be? Able, I mean, we had we had almost three thousand people view your video in that one day after it was posted Are you on serious? the site. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We have a huge and, audience. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we get about two hundred, almost a quarter million people listen to us on a monthly basis. But uh, I got oh, probably, nice. I probably got about thirty emails after that video was posted. People were asking me, "Is this real or is this fake or is this hoaxed or what do you guys think about this?" And I finally emailed Will and said, "I don't. It looks legitimate. I mean, some yeah, of the no, I, well, I thought it was, yeah. <laughs> well, no, no, and I and I, it, you know, and I I didn't know anything about the video, and I just said, well. If you look at the surrounding areas that the guy, and I didn't know you, Bob, but I said that the guy is actually, when he shows the the, the trees and stuff that are torn out of the area, I mean, God, a person couldn't do that. Well, we had a lot of people that, God, I've getting, I'm getting emails left and right about that video asking me, people are asking me if that's real or if that's hoaxed or, and so that's why we wanted to have you on. So I was wondering if maybe, and Will will, 
kind of ask you questions as we go, but maybe we can talk about the video. But I'd like to have you on next week, if that'd be possible, to have you talk about what you're doing in your area and, and kind of what you're seeing and experiences that you've had, if that'd be all right. Yeah, that would be fine. I'm sorry that I'm in the field tonight. Uh, no apologies. <laughs> no, no, oh, no, apologies. don't apologize. I, yeah. I, tell people, I tell people you're one of the best out there, so, you know, you got to keep doing what you're doing, that. man. Man, I appreciate that. Believe me. <laughs> well, well, I don't say it unless I believe it, so, you know. <laughs> oh, I, I know that. <laughs> Go ahead and tell us what, what led up to that and then and then walk us through that situation. Okay. Uh, what, what we were doing was uh, we had come down to an area that was actually about uh, 20 miles from there, from, from where the uh, torn-up camp was. And incidentally, we call it the uh, uh, we call it the uh, hidden camp because there's a camp in there that's hidden, and we use that quite often. We had uh, we had left this area, and we came up in there, and uh, we saw fire, and we noticed that the logs were uh, had been spread around all over the place. Then we you know we saw the tent. And then we saw all the uh, uh, debris thrown out into the middle of the road. I was concerned that uh, possibly there had been a fight and uh, somebody was probably needing assistance or uh, something like that. And when I got out, that was my first thought was that uh, I needed to probably assist somebody. And call the, uh, you know, the sheriff department, have them come out there. Then I got to noticing that, uh, well, there was charcoal all over the place. There was toilet paper all over the place. There was, uh, uh, the, the, the tent had been, uh, torn apart. It had been, uh, also burned and it was a brand new tent. There was chicken laying around where apparently they must have, uh, uh, you know, just started cooking because it was, it was still fairly half raw and bites were taken out of it. Just everything was just thrown completely out of the tent. Everything behind the tent was just basically destroyed, knocked down. Uh, the trees were knocked down. And, and, you know, a human being, you know, even even a lot of those uh, uh, trees that are dead are not going to be able to knock those size trees down. Right, right. And, uh, well, we started getting some strange sounds after, you know, we had gotten out there, and they kind of sounded like a blowing. And I uh, I told uh, Travis that, uh, you know, that's, that's not a deer because it was like blowing through lips and sucking back in. And uh, it wasn't too far from us. And then down on the other side of the road, uh, we were getting, you know, the same thing. My my little handy cam didn't pick up the uh, the sound. As you can see in the video, we looked all around and we uh, uh, looked into the tent. At first, I thought there was a body in the tent, and uh, that's why we were looking into the tent. And uh, I didn't want to leave somebody out there stranded. Uh, dead or alive, and uh, I told my son Travis that you know we needed to report it, and we did. 
Okay, as we looked around and uh, waited for uh, someone to come, we began to notice that there were ants all over the ground. There by the tent, there was actually skin that looked like it had been pulled off of something or someone or whatever. We didn't know, and I don't even know what kind of skin it was. But it was, but it was laying there, and I, and I think I addressed it in the, in the video itself. We went out into the road. I, I was pretty sure that what went on here was probably squatch activity. I'm not saying it was. I'm saying that I'm pretty sure that it was. Right. And we we uh, went out we, we, in the road. I started looking for tracks because it looked like you know there's just been a huge fight there. And we found uh, footprints that were uh, you know large, and uh, they they were barefooted, you know, mm -hmm. you know very large toes, and and some that were a little smaller. And uh, we studied that for a while and uh, realized that, yes, I'm pretty sure that this is squatch activity. And the reason why I am sure of that is because they camped right on their car door. This, they run this that area. And there's a trail that runs in there and goes all the way down along the lake and, uh, you know, for several miles. It goes to the south. And uh, their trail is there. It, it, it's very, very well uh, established. You can see that, that they use it all the time. And uh, they come in, they pass that area, they go on through, and they go, you know, to the south, to the other end of the lake. Actually, what, ha what, what happens is they turn west. I've been out there for about 25 years, and I've mapped all this. I've spent I've spent a lot of time uh, out there in the woods, uh, you know, camping and just just up in the middle of nowhere. But anyway, to get back to the camp, yeah, it, it, it's real. It re it really happened. We were scared. I mean, I, I would presume people would see, would hear that in our voice. And yeah. we did call we did call the authorities, and uh, there were some things that we went back the next day and we found. Uh, as far as the hibachi uh, that apparently had been thrown way up into the woods, uh, bags, you know, sleeping bags, and, 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 you know, many other things. To actually paint a picture for everyone, you guys show uh -huh. up, and I'm assuming this is a research area. You sound like you know it really well. For people who haven't seen the video, basically you guys show up, you guys see this, what looks like a campsite. The tent's mm -hmm. half torn apart. You guys right. noticed the, the fire pit had been, the actual fire logs had been thrown out of the fire logs. There's trash everywhere. Mm -hmm. And you wouldn't think, in my mind, you wouldn't think Sasquatch at first until you keep watching the video. And as you, as you guys start panning around and you start showing different trees that have been ripped off, I think one of the trees you had shown had been snapped at like eight feet up. There was trees yeah. that were the size of, I mean, stuff. 13, 15 inches round or more. Yeah, just snapped. And then I noticed uh -huh. the foot, footprints you guys actually started showing. You started looking down, and you're like, oh, there's a footprint. Oh, there's a footprint. Oh, there's a footprint. And there's different sizes of what bear, what looks like bare footprints in, in the tracks. And this is right. a research area of your guys' 
Yes, uh, we've been in this area for uh, about 25 years. We've been researching there, and uh, we have got a lot of stories to tell about that place. <laughs> we can't wait to hear them next week. But so you guys, should you guys finally report it to the authorities? Yes, I did. We reported it to the authorities, and uh, no one – well, okay, uh, what happened is this. Okay, we went back the next day during the day, and I made uh, a little bit of film, but uh, the uh, – oh, hell, you know, the park department was in there, okay, and they were cleaning up. And if you see on my YouTube the follow-up, it says, you know, follow-up at the torn-up camp, you can see, if you look at the camp, at that, bed, at that video at night, and then you look at what they were doing and what they did the next day and the day after that, you will see that they totally cleaned it up. They dumped new sand. They dumped, uh, they, they put, uh, dirt over the campfire area and, and they rolled back and forth on it. They erased what happened. They erased what happened. And if any, anybody can go, as a matter of fact, if I, I will show, I will give you that video of, uh, what happened after, uh, we reported it and what, what, uh, the, the authorities did, if you'd like to have that. And it's very similar to what Wes, you know, when you had the broken trees, the sign you were telling me when you and I first started talking. Uh huh. That, yeah. uh, yeah, uh, tell us that, Wes, you know, where that area was cleansed. Yeah, we had come across an area, Bob, and this is prior to my my brother and I's encounter. We'd come across an area where it looked like healthy trees had been ripped out of the ground and thrown across the trail. We'd seen footprints, uh, and we'd seen a lot of hand-twisted trees. I mean, where it looks like, like you take a matchstick and just twist it. And I'm talking six, seven inches around, like it was just hand-twisted around. And my brother and I had caught a lot of flack about it when we started telling people. So we thought, you know what, let's go back and let's get pictures. Because we didn't take pictures. We were freaked out by the whole thing. So we had left. We went back less than 30 days. And my comment at the time was the whole area looked like a crime like a crime scene had been cleaned up. You would have never known there was hand-twisted trees. You would have mm-hmm. never known there was trees that had been yanked out of the ground and thrown across uh, the trip. Yeah, you would never found any prints. The whole area looked like it was a crime scene that had been cleaned up is the best way I can describe it. That's exactly, exactly what they did out here. And, see, this this, this isn't the only incident, okay? Uh, a few months before this, we found another torn-up camp, and it's also on uh, my YouTube. Uh, this one had a lot of valuable equipment left and uh that I don't think you know anybody would leave but also we found uh 45 rounds on all four corners of the camp okay if you if you're thinking that uh, somebody you know, I mean, if you're going to shoot a pistol or whatever you know while you're out there you know you're going to stay in one spot but they had moved around 
from one corner to the next like they were protecting themselves. And the thing that uh, bothered me about it was that there were children's clothes, pajamas, there were uh, children's uh, uh, sleeping bags, uh, just everything, you know, thrown up in the, to the trees. Uh, uh, there were two or three tents that were down and, and torn up. There was uh, magazines, clothes uh, thrown everywhere, brand new, really nice stoves. Uh, one was bent, and they they were thrown around. And, uh, you know, and then we find this one, you know, a few months later. Yeah, this is not a very unusual situation. Yeah, this is not an isolated incident. And the cleanup is not an isolated thing. And and, and to all the people out there, I want to say this was real. This really happened. I was scared. I hope y'all could tell that on the video. And also, I want to say something else, too. On the uh, torn-up camp, there were drag marks also, like something or someone had been dragged out of the camp. I was saying, I think, I think it shows on the video, right? Yeah, it yeah, does. It does. Yeah. And, and, I, and I, you know, tell about it. Also, I don't know if anybody noticed or not, but there's a roll of toilet paper and uh out on the road and there's a big stain i mean a really big stain it it, it it's blood where it had uh, soaked into the ground before we got there and of course i think i showed a lot of urination where there'd been urinating you know something had urinated here and there you know down along the trail and, and stuff like that what did the authorities say when you called them bob uh, the usual, you know, uh, who I was and, uh, you know, what my emergency was and, you know, things of that sort. And I told them what, you know, we had found and they told us that, uh, you know, that someone would, you know, come out there and no one ever did. And uh, so we waited and, and that's why we went back the next morning. And that's when we discovered that uh, what was going on was they were cleaning it up. Jeez. And it's called the follow-up to the to the uh, uh, torn-up camp. It's on my YouTube, and it's right there for everybody to see what they did. Yeah, I'll post it up on Facebook. I know the first video really caused a stir along, uh, you know, with a lot of people that were asking. Will and I got multiple emails from people asking us if it was real or oh, yeah. what we thought yeah. what we thought about it. When you watch it. I mean, the first one, I know the torn up video camp, I think it's just over 20 minutes. The more and more you watch it, the more and more creepier it gets. The more and more, uh, yeah, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it really you starts be, thinking into you what's going on there. Yeah. Oh, guys, you I'll go, tell you what, if you'd have been standing out there, it was even more creepy. <laughs> oh, oh I, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I bet. It was creepy to watch because especially – Bob, you go beyond just the camp. You start going around and, you know, you start saying, hey, look at this tree and hey, look at this tree and hey, look at this tree. And then you start realizing. And then when you start getting into the footprints, did you ever hear anything about the missing people or have you done any follow up on what happened to those people? You know, I'm not really sure if I'm supposed to say or not, but we were. I guess basically interrogated for about six hours, and, and my uh, son, uh, one of my other sons, 
who actually wasn't there with us, they uh, he was interrogated for you know close to seven or eight hours. You know, what did they see? What did they hear? What would they tell you? And I don't know what all, but it was kind of that was kind of creepy too. <laughs> who interrogated you? Man, I am not liberty to say. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. No, I know that sounds bad. But, man, I got so much trouble because it was considered a crime scene. I, man, I, I'm just telling you that I just can't tell you guys. No, I'm, okay. not, I'm just not going to say. I, I mean, I'm, I'm scared to this day. And I, and I even... Uh, uh, I've even told everybody, you know, uh, that if I come up on something like this again, I'm going to let somebody else report it. I'm not going to report it, and, and or, or and I'm not going to take video of it. Yeah. And and I know that sounds bad, but I went through hell. My family went through hell, and I'm not going to do it again. Yeah. No, I can't blame you for that. No apologies. Let's see this, Bob. Would you be willing to come on next week, talk about uh, experiences that you've had on the show? Oh, sure. I, I'll be more than willing to. As a matter of fact, we got more stories about the uh, torn-up camp area. Oh, great. <laughs> Absolutely. That's great. And uh, <laughs> my friend Tim Sermon is over here laughing because <laughs> he was involved. <laughs> Yeah. And uh it was quite scary, believe me. <laughs> yeah. Don't let those government monkeys in suits shake you up. Well, uh I'm not. I I, I learned real real quick that they uh weren't gonna do anything that they said they were gonna do to me because mm -hmm. uh they didn't want to go through the courts and I don't think they actually wanted a uh a judge or other authority to actually know what's going right. on. Right. And yeah, I know I'm talking about conspiracy theories and cover-ups and stuff like that, but man, We're I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> you know? No, no, yeah. we, we know plenty of that information, so there, you're, you're not alone in that one. Yeah. <laughs> we, could <tell> you, <laughs> we could tell you a lot more creepier stories about the government, a lot more in, oh, insider sure. information, the stuff that would... uh uh, oh yeah, you know that <laughs> would would make you go what? Oh, I'm quite sure. It's just that oh. we, you know, we were trying to do the right thing, and uh, it bit us in the ass. <laughs> oh, pardon me. No, no apologies. We appreciate you coming on, Bob, and talking about the video, and uh, we can't wait to have you on next week to talk about some of the experiences that you've had and. Yeah, some we're really looking forward to. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of people are are excited to have you on too. Well, thank you so much, Bob. We'll have you on next week. Okay. Uh, I'll be looking forward to it. All right, Bob. Well, be safe while you're out there. That's right. Oh, we will. All right. And thank you very much for having me on, and and I hope that uh, helped uh, a lot of your uh, listeners. And if you have more questions about it, uh, you know, next week, I'll be happy to talk to you about it. And oh, I, I so invite much. anybody to go on and uh, go on my YouTube. You guys go on my YouTube and put up the uh, uh, torn up uh, 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 lost camp, bad smells, uh, follow up 
of the torn up camp. I'm gonna go check out the follow up one. I just saw the torn up camp one, but I'm gonna go check out the follow up one, the the follow up to the torn up camp. Okay. Well, I appreciate it, guys. It was nice, and uh, like I said, you know, let me know when you want me to or, or call me when you're ready. Let me, you know, send me the line or whatever. We will, and we'll have you on next week, Bob. Thanks so much. All right. Bye bye. Uh, thanks for listening in, everyone. Be sure to come back next week. We're going to have Bob Garrett on again, and uh, it'll be an exciting show. Have a good night, everyone.